Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And that's why when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it's really Solomon just looking over his life, (laughs) saying, you know what? Been through it all. Had the fancy stuff, had the sports car, had the, you know, the mansion by the beach, and had all the women, all the luxury, all the fine meals, and everybody looking up to me, my fame, my fortune, my wisdom, I had it all. And at the end, he says, it's all emptiness. It's all emptiness. That would be good for people today to, to learn and to understand. Here's the wisest man in the world in Ecclesiastes telling you these things. We ought to pay attention. Today on Truth in Christ, our search for worldly riches can lead to destruction. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Pastor Rob finalizes this section of chapter 17 of the book of Deuteronomy by giving us the example of King Solomon's life. Even though he was blessed with wisdom and riches, he still searched for material things for himself to fulfill his desires. God warned him and all of the kings of Israel to be careful of their own selfish desires because it would lead to destruction of not only them, but of the kingdom also. Let's listen to Pastor Rob as he continues our study. Statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. Notice the grace of God. If anybody tells you that there's no grace in the Old Testament, they have not read the New Testament or the Old Testament. They haven't read it carefully enough because this is one of those things right off on the side of your margin, grace. (laughs) There's a lot of places where God is very gracious. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David, but I will tear it out of your hand. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of your, the hand of your son, whoever, however, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son. That's Rehoboam. And I will um, give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And we know that the other 11 tribes or the other 10 tribes go to Jeroboam, who was just a general of, of the king at that time. You know, when you think about it, at the, at the very least, Solomon was guilty of, of spiritual adultery, wasn't he? You know, he may have been married to these women, and, and he, he went against the Lord, because we're going to look at that in a minute. There's a, a handful of scriptures, and we don't have time to get to them all, but God told them to stay away from the foreign wives. Let me just give them to you, just for the sake of time. I'm just going to, read, I'm just going to give you two of them, because they'll substantiate what we're looking at here. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 11 through 16, you can look also at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. In Joshua chapter 23, verses 11 through 13. And one of the most interesting ones is Ezra 
chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. This is post-Babylon. This is when they came back into the land after their Babylonian captivity. They still had this issue. It's like they hadn't learned the lesson. Even after their Babylonian exile, they come back into the land, and they're still marrying foreign wives. <laughs> and you can read that whole uh, Ezra chapter 9. It's a fantastic chapter. But God told them during those, those verses that I just gave you to stay away from intermarrying these pagan nations around you. Don't give your wives to them. Don't give your sons to them. You know, don't give your daughter to them and don't allow your son to marry them. But they refused to do that. And here we can see Solomon falling right into that trap. Back in verse 17, notice it says uh, of, of Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, at the end of that verse it says, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. Notice, for himself. Because by this time, David had given him everything. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, let me just read something to you here really quick. In 1 Chronicles, I'm going to give the verse to you. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, especially in verse 14. Let me read it to you. And David is speaking here. He says, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. And moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all types of skillful men for every kind of work, of gold and silver and bronze and iron. There is no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. And so we, you can read that, and you can also look over in First Chronicles chapter 29. Let's just go there really quick, because David, again, is providing everything. So why is he amassing? Why is Solomon now? And we're going to look at this in a minute. It's almost kind of heartbreaking, because he really has everything he needs to build this temple. First Chronicles chapter 29. We're just going to look at the first five verses. Let me read them to you. First Chronicles 29, verse 1 through 5. Notice what David did for Solomon. Before he died, he provided everything. Remember that. He had given him everything that he needed. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young. He's inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. I love David's heart. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, David, of course, speaking here, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I had prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. And he goes on and he chronicles that. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses. The gold for things of gold and silver for the things of silver and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of the craftsmen. Who then, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? And it says that the leaders all brought an offering, and they even got more of, of gold and everything that they needed. So it was in abundance. It was in abundance. <laughs> okay, so that's what happened. So David did all this for Solomon in preparation. Now turn with me to 1 Kings, because now we're going to see the accountability. Accountability is very important. Now again, 1 Kings chapter 9 is already after 
Solomon had already built the tabernacle or built the temple. It's built. He's already um, dedicated it. There's been a lot of uh, pomp and, and it's just beautiful. I mean, it, was a, it really was a glorious time for the people of Israel. But notice what happens. God visits Solomon a second time after it's all done. Notice what he says to him. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me, and I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Notice, now, if you walk before me as your father David walked, in the integrity of your heart, in the integrity of your heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then... I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. Do you see the accountability now? Think of the timeline. David has given him everything. He's got everything he needs to build the temple. God now, in this chapter, appears to him after it's already dedicated, after it's already done. And God says, be careful, Solomon. Be careful. Now go with me to 1 Kings chapter 10. Just one more chapter over. And we're going to look just at verses 14 through 25. Notice, after God had warned him, he's got all the money, he's got all the gold, all the silver. David's already laid it up for him. God tells him in the previous chapter, this is great, Solomon. He warned him, be careful, be careful. Now look at 1 Kings chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. It really chronicles Solomon's great wealth. Notice, And the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. 666. 666. Don't want to make a big deal out of that number, but I think it is interesting that we know that's the mark of the beast in the, in the, in the tribulation period, right? We know that that's whatever the number of his name or whatever it may be, it's going to be associated with that. But that's the amount of gold that he brought in every year. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia. But n- remember what it said there in, in verse 17 of, of Deuteronomy. It says, Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Gathering the gold and the silver for the temple, that was kind of already done, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I mean, it really was. It was done. But now... Solomon is famous. And you know, I don't think God had a problem so much with, with him being wealthy, but his heart, you can see, is already starting to go because he's, he's amassing this stuff for himself, 
not so much for the, for the, for the temple and the priesthood. So he goes, besides that, from the merchant, the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, for, from all of the kings of Arabia and from the governors of the country. Verse 16, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 16. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of gold went, uh, sorry, he also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory. Can you imagine that? And overlaid it with pure gold, this beautiful ivory. He covers it with gold. And the throne had six steps. And on the top of the throne was a a round back. And there were armrests on either side of the place of the seat. And two lions stood beside each of the armrests. And twelve lions stood, one each on the side of the other, going up the six steps. Nothing like this had ever been made for any other kingdom. Notice verse 21, And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. And once every three years the merchant ships came, bringing gold and silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. Sounded like bush gardens. He had everything. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And each man brought his presence. Again, articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, mules. At a set rate, year by year, it just kept coming. I mean, good grief. But the the riches, the women, took away his heart. And that's why when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it's really Solomon just looking over his life, (laughs) saying, you know what? Been through it all. Had the fancy stuff, had the sports car, had the, you know, the mansion by the beach, and had all the women, all the luxury, all the fine meals, and everybody looking up to me, my fame, my fortune, my wisdom, I had it all. And at the end, he says, it's all emptiness. It's all emptiness. That would be good for people today to, to learn and to understand. Here's the wisest man in the world in Ecclesiastes telling you these things. We ought to pay attention because you know what? When we finally get the, 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 the lottery ticket, I don't play the lottery, but you know, if, if your heart is, you know, I, I joke around about it, you know, but it's like that would probably ruin us. I like what it says in the Psalms where the psalmist said, Lord, make me not so wealthy that I forget you. But Lord, don't allow me to be so poor that I'm begging for bread or being tempted to steal. Put me somewhere in the middle. And you know what? That, that really is a blessed place. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm very blessed. I don't need, I mean, I, I don't really care. I mean, all, all, all the things are met. You know, I, I'm not going hungry. I got a roof over my head. I got clothing and above and beyond. So therewith, we learn to be content, right? And that's a good place to be. And I think Solomon, at the end of his life, realized that all of that stuff just really didn't hit home. It really didn't give him peace in his soul. Verse 18, we'll finish up here in just a second. It says, And also it shall be, we're in Deuteronomy 17, verse 18, Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book, from the one before the priests, the Levites. And all the kings of Israel were to do this. They were to take the scribe's book, whatever book of the law, the first five books, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they were to literally make a copy of their own in their own writing. And then they would study that all the days of their life. Every single day they would read it and they would learn and fear the Lord. And it shall be with him, verse 19, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful, notice, to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. And you know, I think it's so wonderful when you look at after um, Manasseh and Am, uh, Ammon, these wicked kings of Judah, finally there comes this golden gem, Josiah, remember? After the, the kings of Judah had completely fallen into idolatry and, and the northern ten tribes have already been taken captive in 722 B.C. through the uh, Shalmaneser of Assyria, and now the, the kingdom of Judah now is, is in, completely engrossed in idolatry, just like her northern neighbors. And finally comes along this young man, Josiah, eight years old when he began to reign. They find a book, Hilkiah finds a book in the law because all this junk is in the sanctuary. All this filth is all over the place. And finally there comes a point where he comes at an age where he's like, and they found this book, he starts cleaning house. He devotes, he's, he's like, he set his face like flint. It was one of the best kings Israel has ever had. And he took everything, all, all the filthy, all the Asherah uh, idols, all the pillars, the sacred pillars, the, the high places. He destroyed them all. He killed the, the prophets and the priests who were over those things, serving false gods. He cleaned house in a big way, and he flushed the toilet. <laughs> and he, he just, gone. Sorry for the graphic thing there. I'm a male. But he took care of business that he might not lift his heart above his brethren. And you know, God wants to be, we need to be like that man, like it says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And as a result of that, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Think of how glorious it is for a tree to be by a a very sure brook that's running 24-7 and all throughout the year. Just raging waters going by, and that tree is just stuck right there by the side of the water. And it's just soaking it up, one of the most healthy trees. That's what we are to be like. That's what the Word of God is for us, the, the sustenance of the Word of God getting into us. It's a cleansing. It cleanses our hearts when we read it. Let your heart get more into the Word and let it cleanse you. Psalm 119 says, verse 9, it says, How can a young man cleanse his way? Question. By taking heed according to your Word. With my whole heart I have heard, I have sought you out. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. And here it is. Your Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord. And that's the idea is to meditate on the Word, get the Word of God into your heart, and let God change you. And isn't it glorious, isn't it wonderful to, to, to be in the Word? And to really, you know, the more you read it, and I know this to be true in my own life, the more I read it, the more I get a hunger for it, and the more I want to do it. I want to obey the Lord. And don't let the Word of God just get ho-hum to you. Don't let it just become something you just kind of ad nauseum, you're just reading 
pray and say, God, there's something in me that's resisting this. Whatever it is, remove it. And you keep reading and you keep reading and don't let, don't ever stop. No matter how you're feeling emotionally, you keep reading the word and you're going to break through at some point and get into a Bible reading plan and just force yourself. There's one I'm reading right now. It's Murray, uh, Robert Murray McShane. Um, it's a reading plan and it gets you through the Old Testament once in a year and the New Testament twice in a year and also twice through the Psalms. And so it takes quite a bit of time and I'm loving it. <laughs> and it's starting at different places, and you'd be surprised how just your heart is, you get excited again. And that's how I start my morning. I just read that that scripture, and um, there's a lot of them, you know, probably four or five chapters, or four chapters, and you just get um, pickled with the word, you know, before you even start doing anything else, and it's really wonderful. So be encouraged, you know, as we, we're going to wrap it up, but, you know, think about what God had spoken to the children of Israel and the prophecy God was telling them in advance where they were going to go. And if he can do that, I think he knows the heart of man. He knows our hearts. He knows what we're susceptible to doing. He knows that we are flesh. He knows that we are dust. He knows what's in us. And he's telling us way in advance. And isn't it discouraging to read about something hundreds of years before it happens and then it's almost like it happens. <laughs> and it's just like, doesn't that break your heart? You'd think that Solomon, think of it. When did he stop reading the Bible? When did he stop reading the first five books of Moses? He had copies of them. How often did he read Deuteronomy chapter 17 and read what was written? Well, that's not me. But what happens Little by little, you start to drift. Next thing you know, you got a thousand wives. Next thing you know, you're amassing gold and multiplying horses, doing exactly the thing God told you not to do, but you're not reading it. There's no conviction. Or if there is conviction, you've pushed it away. You've pushed it away, and finally you become hardened in your sin. Your, your conscience gets seared like a hot iron. And the dangerous thing is God kept on blessing Solomon. He continued to allow him to run this thing to the end. And I think maybe so that we could have the book of Ecclesiastes as a warning to everyone who would be searching for riches and searching for things. And then finally to read a man who has gone through it all and to hopefully learn a lesson. What about Bezos? It would have been good for him to read Deuteronomy 17. It would have been good for him to read the life of Solomon as we did tonight in 1 Kings. And then to ask himself, Lord, is that possible in me too? And the truth is, yes, it is. Without God, you are a sitting duck. But with God, he can give you the grace to withstand it, right? So let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the warnings and the encouragements that we have in your word, Lord. May it truly sink down. And, and Lord, like the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 10, Lord, may we hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you, that we wouldn't be a casualty of, when we look at the newspaper and we see so many people um, captive by, by their sin and their choices that they have made. Father, um, we know that you don't delight in any of these things, Father, and it, it, it breaks your heart. And, Father, help us to be in prayer, not only for ourselves, but for others, Lord, that they would turn from their wicked ways and that they would surrender their heart to you, Lord. So do that work in us this week. 
And even right now, tonight, this very night, just give us a resolve in our heart that we're going to follow you with all of our heart, and we're not going to give in. We thank you that you have it in your power to do this in us by your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.